This audio lecture is based entirely upon the casebook Sales and Leases, a problem-based approach by Scott J. Burnham and Kristen Juris. The casebook is published by Callie E. Langdell Press and licensed Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International. That means that the authors have allowed everyone to copy and redistribute the material in any medium or format and remix, transform, and build upon the material as long as users give appropriate credit. Don't use the material for commercial purposes and redistribute contributions under the same license. Much thanks is due to the authors for writing this book and providing it to everyone for free. In furtherance of this spirit and in compliance with the original license, I also license this audio lecture as Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Contracts Lectures. This is lecture number seven. And in this lecture, we'll be talking about Disclaimer of Warranties, the Magnuson-Moss Warranty Act, and third-party beneficiaries under Section 2-318. So first, Disclaimer of Warranties and Conflicting Warranties. What happens when more than one warranty is given? How are they to be interpreted together? For example, in a sale, there may be one, an implied warranty of merchantability, two, a description of the goods on the package, and three, an oral affirmation of fact by the salesperson. Under UCC section 2-317, quote, warranties, whether express or implied, shall be construed as consistent with each other, and as cumulative, end quote, unless such construction is unreasonable. This cumulative concept is important. For example, an express warranty does not displace an implied warranty of merchantability if the two warranties can reasonably be construed as cumulative or otherwise consistent with each other. In those rare cases where warranties cannot reasonably be construed as cumulative or consistent, apply the rules of Section 2-317 to determine which of the express warranties will prevail. Now moving to statutory disclaimer of warranties and statutory prohibitions. Some jurisdictions have enacted warranty statutes providing that either, one, an implied warranty is not given in certain transactions, or two, an implied warranty may not be disclaimed in certain transactions. An example of the former is Montana Code Annotated Section 
30-2-3163, which provides, quote, in sales of cattle, hogs, sheep, or horses, there are no implied warranties as defined in this chapter that the cattle, hogs, sheep, or horses are free from sickness or disease. In the sale of any seed for planting, including both botanical and vegetative types of seed, whether certified or not, there are no implied warranties as defined in this chapter that the seeds are free from disease, virus, or any kind of pathogenic organisms. End quote. So if you were a buyer of cattle in Montana, it would be important to know that the default rule is that you are not getting an implied warranty. You could then bargain for an express warranty. An example of the latter is 9A Vermont Statutes Annotated, Section 2-3165, that states, quote, The provisions of subsections 2, 3, and 4 of this section shall not apply to sales of new or unused consumer goods or services. Any language, oral or written, used by a seller or manufacturer of consumer goods and services which attempts to exclude or modify any implied warranties of merchantability and fitness for a particular purpose or to exclude or modify the consumer's remedies for breach of those warranties shall be unenforceable. End quote. Now moving to disclaimer of express warranties. Having provided for warranties, implied warranties, and express warranties in sections 2-312 through 2-315, the UCC allows under the principle of freedom of contract for the exclusion or modification of such warranties if the requirements contained in section 2-316 are met. These requirements as to a valid disclaimer vary based upon the type of warranty involved. As a general rule, it is easier to disclaim an implied warranty than an express warranty. If an express warranty exists under Section 2-3161, any words or conduct negating or limiting the express warranty shall first be construed, if reasonable, as consistent with the express warranty, and if not consistent, they are inoperative and will not be effective to disclaim the express warranty unless the parole evidence rule dictates a different result. For example, if a sales contract describes the vehicle as a 2010 Toyota Matrix and states conspicuously there are no express warranties, the seller has nevertheless given an express warranty that the vehicle is a 2010 Toyota Matrix. To effectively disclaim, the contract would have to have specific language, such as seller makes no warranty or representation that the year or model is in fact as described. And disclaimer of implied warranties. UCC Section 2-3162 
sets forth requirements that may be satisfied to exclude or modify an implied warranty, summarized as follows. To modify or disclaim an implied warranty of merchantability, the disclaimer language must mention merchantability. It may be oral or written, and if written, it must be conspicuous, and there are no examples of safe harbor language. To modify or disclaim an implied warranty of fitness for a particular purpose, there is no requirement of mention of fitness for a particular purpose. It cannot be oral and must be written. It must be conspicuous and there is safe harbor language. Like, quote, there are no warranties which extend beyond the description on the face hereof, end quote. Conspicuous is defined at UCC section 1-201B10. To be conspicuous, the language must be so written that a reasonable person would notice it, which, according to official comment 10 to that section, is a matter of law for the court to decide. A non-exclusive listing of conspicuous terms includes a heading in capitals, a heading in contrasting type, font, or color to the surrounding text of the same or lesser size. Language other than a heading which is in larger type than the surrounding text. Language other than a heading which is in contrasting type, font, or color to the surrounding text of the same size. Language set off from the surrounding text of the same size by symbols or other marks that call attention to the language. Curiously, Section 2-3163 provides an alternative set of rules pursuant to which an implied warranty, but not an express warranty, can be disclaimed. Therefore, your analysis of the disclaimer of implied warranties should never stop at Section 2-3162. If an implied warranty is not effectively disclaimed there, perhaps a disclaimer exists under Section 2-3163. Under Section 2-3163A, all implied warranties are excluded by expressions like, quote, as is, or, quote, with all faults, or similar language that calls the buyer's attention to the exclusion of warranties and makes plain that there is no implied warranty. Note that unlike Section 2-3162, there is no requirement that the disclaimer must be conspicuous. But in order to call the buyer's attention to the exclusion, all drafters are wise to use conspicuous language when disclaiming under Section 2-3163A. See also comment 1 to section 2-316, which states that implied warranties may be excluded, quote, only by conspicuous language or other circumstances which protect the buyer from surprise, end quote. An express limitation on section 2-3163A is the introductory phrase of, quote, unless the circumstances indicate otherwise, 
end quote. Sometimes circumstances may not allow, quote, as is or similar language to constitute a disclaimer. For example, usage of trade in course of dealing may be circumstances which make an as-is clause insufficient to disclaim an implied warranty. Under Section 2-3163b, there is no implied warranty with regard to defects which an examination would have reasonably revealed if the buyer examined the goods before entering the contract or refused upon the seller's request to examine the goods. Comment 8 explains that to bring the transaction within the scope of refused to examine in paragraph B, it is not sufficient for the goods to be merely available for inspection. There must be a demand by the seller that the buyer examine the goods fully. An implied warranty may be excluded under Section 2-3163C by course of performance, course of dealing, or usage of trade. This subsection was applied in Spurgeon v. Jameson, where the court found that usage of trade in the farming industry excluded implied warranties in the sale of used farm equipment with the exception of a 50-50 implied warranty under which each party to the transaction paid for one-half of the cost of repairs. Recall that the UCC does not describe the warranties of good title or against infringement contained in every contract as implied warranties. Therefore, an effective disclaimer of implied warranties under Section 2-3162 or Section 2-3163 does not disclaim these warranties. Now moving to disclaimer of warranties of title and against infringement. Although the UCC provides that the warranties of good title and against infringement are found in every contract and thus they function like an implied warranty. Official Comment 6 to Section 2-312 calls our attention to the fact that they are not designated as implied warranties. Why is this significant? If these warranties are not to be treated as implied warranties, the rules of Section 2-3163, allowing the exclusion of implied warranties in certain circumstances, do not apply nor does Section 2-317C, which states that an express warranty displaces an inconsistent implied warranty. Section 2-3122 provides that the warranties of title can be excluded or modified only by specific language such as seller disclaims any warranties of title. Circumstances that give the buyer reason to know that the person selling does not claim title in himself, such as a police auction of recovered but unclaimed stolen items, or circumstances that give the buyer reason to know that the seller is purporting to sell only such right or title as he or a third person may have, such as an estate sale by a personal representative. 
The UCC does not say how the warranty against infringement can be disclaimed. One guess is that the seller would have to use the same methods that are used to disclaim the warranty of good title. This was the approach taken by the drafters of the amended Article 2. It could be cited as persuasive authority for what the Article 2 experts thought should be the rule when there is a gap in the present Article 2. Moving to post-sale disclaimers. Imagine that A purchases a new jacket for mountain climbing. At the time of purchase, there are displays surrounding the jackets, stating that they are machine washable, waterproof, and are appropriate for use in weather as cold as negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit. A purchases one of the jackets. When she gets home, she notices a card attached to the inside of the jacket containing different warranties and disclaiming all other warranties, express or implied. Does the card attached to the jacket effectively modify or exclude the warranties made by the displays at the time of sale? For this, see Whitaker versus Farmhand, in which the court stated that, quote, a disclaimer or limitation of warranty contained in a manufacturer's manual received by the purchasers subsequent to the sale does not limit recovery for implied or express warranties made prior to or at the time of sale, end quote. And limitations of remedy. Most sellers, instead of disclaiming all warranties, give an express warranty but limit the remedy under that warranty. For example, they may agree only to repair or replace defective parts, and they may deny recovery of consequential damages. Now moving to the Magnuson-Moss Warranty Act. The Article II warranty provisions are supplemented by a federal statute, the Magnuson-Moss Warranty Act. The Act does not require a seller to provide an express warranty in connection with the sale of a consumer product. However, if a seller of a consumer product decides to offer a written warranty, it must comply with the Act. The Act only applies the marketing and sale of consumer products accompanied by written warranties. The essence of the Act is found in Section 102, which provides that, quote, any warrantor warranting a consumer product to a consumer by means of a written warranty shall, to the extent required by rules of the Commission, fully and conspicuously disclose in simple and readily understood language the terms and conditions of such warranty. End quote. Note also that the definition of a warranty varies from the definition of an express warranty under UCC Section 2-313. In particular, to fall within the Magnuson-Moss Act, warranties must be in writing, and a warranty relating to the nature of the material or workmanship of the warranted product must affirm or promise 
that it, quote, is defect-free or will meet the specified level of performance over a specified period of time, end quote. Magnuson Moss requires a manufacturer or other person giving a warranty subject to the act to classify the warranty as full or limited. Now moving to third-party beneficiaries and privity. A breach of warranty action is a contract claim. Under the common law principle of privity, only a party to the contract can bring a claim against another party to the contract. In the area of breach of warranty, there are two types of privity, which you must be able to distinguish. Vertical privity refers to the concept that a series of sales moves a good from the manufacturer to the end purchaser. Under a strict privity doctrine, buyer could only sue retailer, who in turn could sue distributor, who in turn could sue manufacturer, who in turn could sue the components manufacturer. Most courts have relaxed the strict privity requirement for breach of a warranty claim and allow the buyer to sue the manufacturer directly and horizontal privity is quite different from vertical privity. Here we are talking about someone who is not a party to a contract for sale, but who uses the good, perhaps as a guest of the end purchaser or an employee of the end purchaser. There is no contractual relationship involved between the injured person and someone in the contractual chain of distribution. For example, A grandfather purchases a lawnmower, which seriously injures a grandchild who was mowing the lawn for the grandfather. Can the grandchild bring a claim for breach of warranty against the seller of the lawnmower? How about a claim against someone further up the chain, such as a manufacturer? This is where you see horizontal privity combining with vertical privity. UCC Section 2-318 was drafted to provide a breach of warranty claim to certain persons who were not in the chain of sales contracts. As originally drafted, Section 2-318 was not intended to apply to vertical relationships. The development of vertical privity was a matter of common law. Comment 2 to Section 3-313 acknowledges that, quote, the warranty sections of Article 2 are not designed in any way to disturb those lines of case law growth which have recognized that warranties need not be confined either to sales contracts or to the direct parties to such a contract, end quote. Section 2-318 was originally intended to apply to horizontal relationships. See comment 3 to section 2-318, which states that alternative A, quote, is neutral and is not intended to enlarge or restrict the developing case law on whether the seller's warranties given to his buyer who resells extend to other persons 
in the distributive chain. End quote. When you are filing a claim against someone, such as the manufacturer, a distributor, a retail store, who is in vertical privity with the purchaser, always try to avoid application of Section 2-318 and rely instead on the concept of vertical privity. Why? Because Section 2-318, particularly Alternative A, which is the most widely adopted alternative, strictly limits the types of damages awardable and the class of persons who may bring them. After receiving complaints regarding the narrow scope of Alternative A and in an attempt to stop states from adopting non-uniform provisions regarding third-party beneficiaries, in 1966, the commissioners added Alternatives B and C to Section 2-318. Each state is free to adopt the alternative it prefers. Alternative A is the most restrictive alternative as to who can sue a seller for breach of warranty and for what damages. Alternative C is the least restrictive. Under Alternative A, family members have been held to include parents, spouses, children, both minor and adult, siblings, mothers-in-law, grandchildren, nieces, and nephews. And this is a non-exclusive list. The family member does not have to reside in the purchaser's household. Under Alternative A, examples of household members would include a live-in nanny, an unmarried couple, and college roommates. This class must reside in the purchaser's household, unlike family members. With regard to the protected class of guests under Alternative A, they must be guests in the home of the purchaser, and not, for example, a guest in the purchaser's car or boat. Many courts have required there to be some connection between the visit to the home and the injury. For example, injury to a guest who is jumping on a trampoline at the purchaser's residence. On the other hand, if a purchaser gives a gift to a friend, while the friend is a guest in the purchaser's home, and the purchaser leaves and the gift results in an injury to the friend elsewhere, the friend may not fall in the protected class. Examples of persons who are not guests are paying customers, employees, and tenants. Note that an additional requirement to fall under any of the alternatives is that the person must be reasonably expected to use, consume, or be affected by the goods. For example, if a child is injured while opening a beer bottle, can the bottler argue that it is not reasonable to expect a minor child to be opening a bottle of beer? Comment 3 states that Alternative A is, quote, not intended to enlarge or restrict the developing case law on whether the seller's warranties given to his buyer who resells extend to other persons in the distributive chain, end quote. However, the courts in most jurisdictions have declined to extend horizontal privity beyond the classes enumerated in Alternative A, believing that if a larger horizontal class had been intended, the legislature 
would have adopted one of the other two alternatives. And remote sellers under UCC section 2-318. Assume that you have a person who falls within the horizontal protected class of one of the alternatives. For example, the wife of a purchaser is injured while using a motorcycle helmet purchased by her husband. In an alternative A state, she is in the protected class as a member of the purchaser's family, and her damages are also within the allowable class of damages, that is, personal injury. She files a claim against the manufacturer who sold the helmet to the retail store, who sold the helmet to her husband. Is the manufacturer liable? Under alternative A, the wife is able to bring a claim against the seller. And who is the seller? The retail store, not the manufacturer. To get to the manufacturer, she will have to rely upon a vertical privity concept. Some states incorporate, on top of Section 2-318, the vertical privity analysis to allow the family member to sue a manufacturer up the line from the immediate seller. In other words, they allow the wife to bring a claim under Section 2-318, then go to common law concepts of vertical privity to extend her claim past the immediate seller up the chain to the manufacturer. But not all states allow this. See, for example, Williams versus Fulmer, which disallowed a claim brought by a wife who was injured while using the helmet purchased by her husband. If the wife's claim had been brought in a jurisdiction with alternative B or C, she could argue that on their face these sections do not limit privity to the seller's immediate buyer. Note that alternative A says that the seller's warranty extends to, quote, his buyer, end quote, while alternatives B and C say that, quote, a seller's warranty extends to any natural person, end quote, in B, and to, quote, any person in C. Thus, a court could find that there is no privity requirement under Section 2-318, alternatives B or C, instead of having to rely on common law vertical privity. All that the wife has to show is that it is reasonable for a manufacturer to expect a good to pass through a line of distribution and end up with the end purchaser, who in turn may reasonably be expected to allow others to use such good. However, the problem with relying on Section 2-318 to establish vertical privity versus common law vertical privity is the limitation of the types of damages awardable under alternative B, that is personal injury only, although alternative C allows any type of damage to be compensated. And that brings us to the end of this lecture. Thanks, everybody, and take care.